Jesus is extremely, extremely messy. Most of you probably know that already. If you read the Bible just a little bit in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you find out in a hurry that, that Jesus doesn't fit into a nice little category at all. He doesn't fit into categories that we can totally understand. Jesus is, is complicated. He lives out multiple truths at the exact same time. Truths that sometimes we think contradict one another. A couple of years ago, I was called to deliver a death notification for a family here in Sioux Falls. Didn't think anything out of the ordinary of it when I was called, went and arrived with the sheriff's deputy, and as we walked up to the house, we kind of covered the normal material. You say this, I'll say that, da-da-da-da, we got to the door. I usually take a Bible with me, and I had a Bible with me this time. The door opens up, and as the door opens, I notice in a hurry that we're dealing with a family from a completely different cultural context. The family has got their heads covered, obviously wearing different clothing than we would normally used to. That's usually a signal of a different religious affiliation. And so I knew at that moment things could get interesting in a hurry. We walked in, met with the family, delivered some very horrific news of their son who was in the military. Their son ended up taking his own life. And so we, we spent some time talking for a few moments, and, and the deputies had to go downstairs to do some work in the house looking for some information and left me with the, the parents. And as I sat there with, with the parents, and I usually follow up by saying something like, well, is there someone I can call for you, a family member, a, a priest, a pastor? Do you have someone that I can call? In this situation, I just said, do you, do you have a religious uh, affiliation, someone that I could call to be here with you? And they said, well, we don't really have a leader in town, but we can, we can call our community of friends. And so I said, well, we should call someone who's the leader. So they called somebody who was the leader, and they said, they said he'll come over. I said, great. I said, I'll stay with you until that, until that time. And we just basically had small talk during the next hour or so. But about an hour out, hour and a half within easily, all of a sudden I'm standing in a home that's pretty small, Basically, this section of chairs right here is kind of the main floor area. There's over 80 people in this section alone right here. All 80 people are now on their knees, weeping. All 80 people are just bowing over and over again. And I'm just kind of standing on the side, not sure exactly what to do at this point. So I stand there, and the younger brother comes up to me, and he says, hey, do you think you could say something? And I thought, oh, boy. <laughs> uh, yes, I'll say, so I'll say something. So I knew I was on delicate, delicate waters. And so I said, I, I want to start. I want to say, say how sorry I am for your loss today. I said, I just want to say something very simple, recognizing that we're coming from understandings. I, I said, Today I want you to know that there's a creator of the universe who loves you very much. And I want you to know that this creator of the universe has overcome death through his son Jesus Christ conquering the grave through the cross. And that's all I said. That's all I said. I just stopped right there. And I just said I want to encourage you. I want to love you as I, as I am able. That's it. Because I didn't want to say anything about where their son was. I didn't want to get into a conversation about... Who knows what wasn't the appropriate time. Fast forward, anyhow, they called, the young brother calls me and says, hey, do you think you could come to the time of burial? 
said, sure, would love, love to be there, love to be there with you. So I show up at the time of, of burial. I'm the only white person present. So I show up at the time of burial. They go through the, the burial, and we get all done. And again, they're just all together. They go back to the house. And, and you think, we know how to fellowship. They really know how to fellowship. This wasn't 80 people back at the house. This was over 100 people back at that same house. And I'm just kind of standing in the corner like this, and they give you a little teacup. I'm just kind of standing in the corner pretending to sip the tea the whole time. Probably for about an hour and a half, I'm standing there, just kind of talking green to another. Finally, people start to leave. The younger brother comes back up to me, and he says, can you come talk to my mom and dad? I said, sure. I can talk to your, talk to your mom and dad. And I said, I, said I, need to, I don't know exactly what to say. And they said, well, this is what they said to him, the younger brother. They said, can you have that police officer come back who loves us? Can you have that police officer come back who loves us? I said, well, that doesn't really help me know what to say. He said, you can say whatever you want. So I sat down, and I just laid it out. I said, here it is. I understand you know things differently. You come from a different thing. I said, here's what we teach, and here's what the God of the universe has done. That's it. We finished, talked for another hour or so, tea, da-da-da-da-da. They're not Christians today. They're not going to a church today. This is not to elevate me at all. It's to elevate a simple comment that was made. Bring back the police officer who loved us. Now, I did nothing. Literally, I did absolutely nothing. I stood there. And the whole time I was standing there, all I could think to myself is, is this a good idea? Is this a good idea? Because all I'm thinking in my mind is, am I affirming everything that they're doing? But as I go back to the Bible, what I find is I find that, you know where I think Jesus would have been? Jesus would have been in the living room. Not affirming a false god not affirming a false understanding, but Jesus would have been in the living room loving people because this is what Jesus does. Jesus is messy. We could look at story after story. Just two for you this morning, really quick. You're probably familiar. There's this story where Jesus heals 10 lepers. Now remember, lepers are people that nobody else can touch, want anything to do with. But Jesus goes and heals 10 lepers, skin disease, weird disease that nobody else wants to be around. We usually tell that story, but we forget a key part of that story. Of the ten lepers, they were not all Jews. Let me translate that for you. Of the ten lepers, they were not all God of Israel believing people. There was a Samaritan in the midst, in the ten lepers. A Samaritan was at complete odds with the God of of Israel, how many lepers were healed? Ten. Jesus just goes right in. You wonder why the religious leaders were just automatically upset with him. They're probably thinking, well, he could have healed the nine Jews and left the one Samaritan to teach him a little lesson. But what does Jesus do? Heals all ten. 
And we don't know, we don't know. It says that, that he came back and he said, praise God. But we don't know if praise God means that the person was ever saved. We don't know. We just know that Jesus healed them. Another instance, Jesus is in the midst of a big crowd, a crowd of people, and the person that he lets touch him, lets clean his feet, is not the leader of the house, is not the religious leader, but is a prostitute, one who everybody else looks down on. Jesus lets that woman be the host. Why? Because Jesus loves people. You read it all over and over, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus loves people. Why does Jesus love people? Two weeks ago, for those of you who weren't here, I'm going to give you a sermon in 30 seconds. Jesus loves people. John 7, verse 18, there's a little verse I want to point out really quick. It says this. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent me is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Jesus is in an argument with religious leaders, and he basically says to these religious leaders, hey, you're seeking your own glory, but you know what I'm seeking? Jesus says, I'm seeking the glory of God. Very simply put, everything that Jesus did was to seek the glory of God, to seek the honor of his Father. Therefore, because Jesus wants to honor his Father, he loves people. Jesus was primarily concerned about people because he was focused on glorifying God. Why? Because people have been given the image of God, bestowed on them the glory of God. Psalm 8, Genesis 1. Jesus loves people because he's concerned about the glory of God and God's crowning achievement, God's crowning creation is what? Humanity. Therefore, if you and I are going to seek to glorify God, do you know what we have to do? We have to love people. We cannot glorify God without loving, knowing, and engaging with people. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. We cannot glorify God without loving, knowing, and engaging with people because people are God's crown of creation. Now, this is where it gets messy because most of you probably agree with me, right, to this point. Nobody came here and is surprised to hear that you should love people, right? I mean, love people's in the Argus leader. I mean, everybody says love people. Right? So no one's surprised by this idea, love people. But now here's where it gets messy. Have you realized that there's a lot of people who are not like you? Can you believe that? <laughs> How dare there be people who don't know my ways, who don't know that you only drink soda with six full ice cubes and a nice red cup? How dare there be people who would enjoy eating stuff from the ground rather than the beef and the pork that we produce here in South Dakota and Minnesota. How dare there be people who would not have nicely cut, trimmed hair, rather long and flowing locks. How dare there be people who are different than me. But there's a lot of people who are different than me. And there's a lot of people who are different than you. How many of you having difficult time loving the person who you're most like and with the most? Nobody else has trouble loving their spouse at any time. Okay, total different sermon. How many of you are lying right now? Right, it is difficult, right? 
to love people who are very similar to us. It's difficult to love people who serve us and love us in return. That's a challenge in and of itself. How much more when people then are different than us? Well, it's not just that. How about people who are not just different than us, but people who are opposed to us? Now, I can love someone who's neutral, someone who's not doing bad stuff to me and someone who just kind of stays neutral. But to love someone that what? Does bad stuff to me? That's a whole different mindset. That's a whole different situation. But there's plenty of people out there who are different than us and who are opposed to us. So if Jesus says, God says, the Father through Jesus, love your neighbor, love people, and there's all these people who are different than us and opposed to us, what do we do? Let's look at Luke chapter 6 together this morning. Well, that was just the introduction. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke 6, verse 27. Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Jesus right here is talking to religious people. Jesus is talking to religious people who know the Levitical law found in the Old Testament. And the Levitical law, everybody knew, was one command that summarized it all up. Love your neighbor. And the Jews agreed with this. Yes, love your neighbor. But Jesus, in most, his most famous story ever, the Good Samaritan, is doing the same thing he's doing right here. Is he saying, oh, hold on. You don't have the whole command in view. Love your neighbor is not love those who love you. Love your neighbor is love humanity. For everyone is your neighbor. And so Jesus is spending some time here flushing out saying, hey, love your neighbor. It's expanded beyond that to what? It means what? Love anyone even if their response back to you is not love. You and I spend the majority of our life in the deserve and response mindset. What I mean by that is this. We treat people the way they deserve to be treated. Or we treat people with the way we think they're going to respond to our treatment. We are good debit creditors in our life. We're going through this in our house right now. So we're kind of going through that stage where some of the kids like to be alone in their own bedrooms, want to have me time. And then the other kids are just pounding on the door, want to get in. 
But now here's the famous line of how they've solved that. Well, he won't let me in his room. If he'll let me in his room, I'll let him in my room. Makes sense, right? Good logic. Not the logic of Jesus. But sadly, many of us have kept that preschool and kindergarten logic our whole life. If they'll love me, I'll love them. Jesus is flipping it upside down. He's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the love of God. The love of God is not dependent upon response or deserving, but the love of God goes out freely. We have to move from a deserving mindset to a dignity mindset. A deserving mindset to a dignity mindset. You might say, oh, hold on. They don't have dignity because of what they deserve. Well, then we have to go back to the fundamental truth. Genesis 1 and Psalm 8. Every human being, no matter of their behavior, no matter of their response, is created in the image of God, has been bestowed with the glory of God. Therefore, every human being has inherent dignity. This is why we stand up for the unborn. This is why we stand up for the aging. This is why we stand up for humanity in the worst possible situations is because every human creation has inherent worth and value. We have to move from a deserving mindset to a dignity mindset. Do you know how many people Jesus healed and touched who deserve something completely different? Every human being that he touched. Do you know how many human beings will be in the eternal kingdom forever that deserve something completely different? Every human being deserves something completely different. We have to move from a deserved mindset to a dignity mindset if we're going to love everyone as God has laid out for us. Well, how? How do we do that? Before we get to that, though, I think we've got to press the pause button because some of you aren't agreeing with me this morning. Forget agreeing with me. Some of you aren't agreeing with God's word this morning. So we've got to take a step back and ask a bigger question. Am I going to take Jesus seriously or am I going to be a CE Christian? Am I going to take Jesus seriously or am I going to be a CE Christian? Well, what's a CE Christian? Christmas Easter. And now some of you are really offended because you're like, well, I'm here and it's not Easter. There's plenty of seats filled every Sunday with Christmas and Easter Christians. People who want Jesus at the birth of a child, people who want Jesus at a marriage, and people who want Jesus at death. But any time outside of that, eh, that's not Jesus' territory. Are we going to take Jesus seriously? Do we... Do we really believe that what Jesus is saying here in Luke 6 is what Jesus wants? Are you ready to take Jesus seriously? Now let's take a step and think about this for a moment. Some of you aren't ready to take Jesus seriously because you're like, well, well, hold on. Jesus really didn't mean love your enemies. What Jesus was trying to do is he was trying to make us feel bad. 
that we don't love our enemies. And so what he was trying to do is Jesus was trying to put out this really high bar that no one could attain. So therefore, what do they need? They need Jesus. Sometimes we teach this in churches, right? Jesus says, be this, you're down here. So how do you make up the gap? Jesus. Well, okay, that's an interesting perspective of Jesus. Interesting perspective of God, that God would basically give his law for the one purpose, just to break your backs. Just to say, ah, you're horrible human beings. You can't do anything. You've got to decide if you're going to hold that view or not. So some of us are stuck there. Secondly, more people are stuck here. Some of us hold the view that Jesus didn't know everything because that was kind of a Stone Age culture. I mean, come on. They didn't have cars. I mean, that, they didn't know much then. They had people then that believed the earth was flat. They, just dumb. So, so Jesus really didn't have the full view yet. Jesus didn't understand yet how much humanity was going to evolve. So therefore, what Jesus is teaching, you know what? We've got to look at it a little bit differently. We've got to understand that he was talking just to that culture, and now we've got to evolve it in the way that culture has evolved. That's where some of us are at today. Here's the problem, the sole, the fundamental problem with that position. You're basically saying to Jesus, you're not who you say you are. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, God, fully divine, and Jesus doesn't know what's going to come in 2,000 years, what kind of God is that? It's not God. That's a created being. God knew exactly, Jesus knew exactly what was going to be happening in 2018. He's not surprised by these new ideas about X, Y, or Z. He's like, oh, I should have rethought some of my teaching. <laughs> He's fully aware. And so, are you taking Jesus at his word? Thirdly, though, some of you this morning are inconsistent with Jesus. You want Jesus for Christmas? Easter, and then a couple of the big things. And let me really poke us this morning. You want Jesus for the big things like marriage. Because what Jesus said about marriage, he was exactly right on, knew exactly what he's talking about. But what Jesus is talking about, about loving your enemies and, and money and giving, whoa, whoa, whoa. He didn't fully understand. But you're willing to raise your hands, you're willing to put your pocketbook to defend what Jesus says about marriage. But are you willing to be consistent and say what Jesus says about loving your enemies, what Jesus says about money? It's the same Jesus saying the same two things. So this morning, we've got to ask the question, am I going to take Jesus seriously? Here's the beauty, the absolute beauty of all of this. And I just love this. The reward and the joy of Christianity comes when we take Jesus seriously. Because we don't get to share in the joy of Jesus when Jesus is just on the shelf for a couple times of year and we're constantly frustrated because the joy taught in the Bible comes from the source, Jesus Christ himself. And so if we're going to have the joy of Christianity, we've got to be connected to the source of joy, Jesus himself. 
So actually, when you take Jesus seriously, the benefits flow. That's when you experience the joy that's promised in the Bible. Are we going to take Jesus seriously? So we're going to move ahead this morning quickly for an answer to that question, how do I love someone who's different than I? But here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming we're willing to take Jesus seriously. That Jesus wants us to love people who are different than us. Jesus wants us to love people who oppose us. Three quick things, really quick this morning. How do you love someone who doesn't love you? How do you love someone who's opposed to you? Number one, look with me in Luke chapter 6 if you have your Bibles open. Luke 6, verse 35 and 36. Jesus is finishing up this teaching. He says, but love your enemies and do good, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Who's he? The he is the Most High God. So how do we love people who don't love us? Number one, we've got to keep focused on the character of God. Keep focused on the character of God. Ask a farmer. Call up a farmer today. I mean this. Call up a farmer and ask that farmer, hey, does God distinguish between the just or the unjust? Find the farmer that takes off the Sabbath whole farming career. And that farmer takes off the Sabbath their whole farming career is going to be able to say what? You know that farmer that never took the Sabbath off? They seem to get rain and sun just like I did. I mean, that's kind of crazy. How's that work? Look at the character of God. He's kind to the just and the unjust. We can't look to ourselves. We can't look to those around us. We've got to focus on the character of God, that God is kind, and it's not dependent upon the response of the people. So number one, keep focused on the character of God. Number two, understand your own position in relation to God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Understand your own position in relation to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans 5.10 says, says this. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The start of that verse, for if while we were enemies. Okay, we forget this so often because most of us have the blessing of growing up in a Christian home. In our natural state, apart from Jesus Christ, apart from rebirth through the Holy Spirit, you're an enemy of God. Every human being. We don't talk about this because what? Jeez, we don't like that God. But the reason that we're enemies of God is because of our wrongdoing, our sin, that we talked about at the beginning of the service. Every human being is an enemy of God in their natural state. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're born and deserve the wrath of God. So when you understand your own position in relation to God, here's what happens. You understand that God is what? Loving his enemies. And you can personally relate to that. How can you love your enemy? Because you've experienced it yourself. 
because there's a God who's loved you and you were God's enemy at one time. Don't ever forget that without Jesus Christ, you are an object of the wrath of God. Understand your own position in relation to God because empathy requires what? You've got to get in a person's skin and understand where they're at. We can empathize with our enemies. How? Because outside of Jesus Christ, we're enemies of God. Focus on the character of God. Understand your own position in relation to God. And then thirdly, think of yourself as a dispenser of God's love. Think of yourself as a dispenser of God's love. In other words, dispense God's love, not what you feel. I almost have the same sermon at every wedding. Sorry for those of you who I've officiated at your wedding service. There's nothing new. Basically, every sermon at every wedding is the three words, pass it on. The key to marriage, this is going to sound really weird, the key to marriage is the exact same key to loving your enemies. The key to your marriage is not loving your spouse when your spouse loves you. The key to your marriage is loving your spouse even when your spouse doesn't love you. It's passing on God's love to your spouse because you're not always going to feel like loving your spouse. So it's not passing on what you feel. It's passing on what you've received from God. God's not asking us to love others with our love. He's asking us to pass on His love to others. Go to Hy-Vee today. Go to Hy-Vee today. I want to see every Hy-Vee in this tour city sell out of Pez dispensers. Buy a Pez dispenser. They're so much fun and a little treat during the week. Just take a little Pez every morning. What is it? It dispenses out something. You are the ultimate Pez dispenser this next week. You're not dispensing sugar. You're dispensing the love of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, tells us that we are loved by God so that what? We can love others. 1 John 3, chapter 3 and 4 talks about God first loved us. Now love your brother and your sister. Dispense God's love to the people around us. How do you love someone who's different? How do you love someone who's opposed to you? You focus on the character of God. You remember the position you have with God. And you dispense God's love to that person. It's not about the response. It's not about the deserving. It's about the dignity of that human being. Will we dispense God's love to people around us? This next week, you're going to have an opportunity to interact with people who are not like you. You're going to have an opportunity to interact with people who do not like you. Are you going to take the preschool mentality? Or are you going to reflect the heart of Jesus Christ? That the people would be loved. Let me tell you here this morning, I'm here to testify. Love opens doors. Love opens doors. Well, a couple of Thursday nights ago, every Thursday night or so, or every couple of weeks, I try to go downtown and walk around in the Pettigrew Heights neighborhood, and I basically just pray a very simple prayer. As I'm about to walk in that neighborhood late at night, 9, 10 o'clock, I just say, God, give me someone to love tonight. That's it. 
God, give me someone to love tonight. A couple weeks ago, walking around, I was in Munchies down there. Munchies, a little gas station down there. An 11-year-old boy comes in the store. 11-year-old boy was sent to buy groceries for his family. He doesn't have enough money for the groceries. So I say, okay, this must be who God wants me to love tonight. So I just, I said, hey, I'll buy your groceries for you. You're not supposed to do this, right? Adults are not supposed to approach children. you got all this safety stuff, da 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 Well, okay, here we are, downtown Sioux Falls, middle of a liquor store. Somebody's got to help this 11-year-old, right? God's love is not logical. So I said, hey, get whatever you want. Bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> get whatever you want. The total bill comes to $67. I'm thinking, oh, boy. We're Dave Ramsey people, and my blow fund for the month is $40. So I'm working up in my math. How's this going to work? And I, and I say, hey, well, let, me, let me walk you home. So walk the young boy home. Get home. Get to his house. Mom is there. The door doesn't shut on the house. I'm like, what in the world? They're living in a one-room, um, single-efficiency apartment. Everything's right there. Come in. Obviously, the mom's like, who's this guy that you brought along? He was like, hi, he, he bought groceries for us. And I said, hey, I just want to say, hi, I'm here, I'm going to leave, leave now. And I just said, hey, what's going on with your door? Oh, long story. And I said, hey, could I fix your door for you? And all of you know my do-it-yourself skills, right? <laughs> she doesn't. And so I'm like, hey, this is great. So I said, all right, hey, I'll come back tomorrow night. We'll fix, we'll fix this door so it can shut. Here's the craziness. Again, this is not about Rich McCorris. This is about God when you step out in faith. I get home that night. On the table when I get home, I had not checked the mail. On the table when I get home is a letter from Core Orthopedic with a check attached to it. Check for $67. Okay, folks, that, I can ask my wife. The check was on the table. It doesn't happen unless you do what? You say, God loves people. God's commands are not logical. God's love is not logical. The next night, had the opportunity to go back and do what? Fix the doorknob. I hope it's still working today. Best foot forward. Right? Find out the family is what? Hindu. Culturally Hindu. Nah, they're not practicing, but they kind of got some of the cultural senses and things like that going on. So what do we talk about after we fix the door? Well, tell me. Help me understand what you believe about God and the afterlife. Again, there's little kids running all over us, so I'm not sure where we got or, or how far we got into it. Tell you what, though, this was not rocket science. It doesn't get any simpler than buying groceries and fixing a broken doorknob. When you love people, God opens doors. And guess what? We're not responsible for the response of the individuals. That family may never walk into a church that family may never say hi to me again. Guess what? That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to love the people God places in our pathway. There's a survey group called the Barna Group that's done a lot of research, a lot of research in America. And I want to share exactly what they said. This is not me. Evangelicals, that's us, people who believe in Jesus Christ and the inerrancy of God's word. Evangelicals consistently report higher levels of difficulty toward other groups than those groups report toward them. 
87% of evangelicals think it would be difficult to have a conversation with a Muslim. But only two-thirds of those with other faiths report difficulty in conversing with evangelicals. Similarly, when it comes to speaking to atheists, 85% of evangelicals think it would be difficult. But again, only two-thirds of atheists, agnostics, or those who do not have any faith, say they would have a hard time talking with evangelicals. Simply put, people who bear the name of Jesus Christ are afraid of people who are different than them. And this is not the Jesus whose name we bear. It's time for us to turn over a new leaf of willingly loving people and holding to a firm line, whether they respond or don't respond. We say Jesus Christ is the only way to God. The Bible is the inerrant word of God, and at the exact same time, we love people. This next week, say a very simple prayer. God, give me an opportunity to love someone who's different. God, give me an opportunity to love someone who's different. And get ready. You might have to use your blow fund on some groceries. Let us pray. Almighty God, there's a hundred people here this morning. Over a hundred people, God. And there's over a hundred people in this community that are different than us. There's over a hundred people in this community that are opposed to us. God, we have one simple request this next week. God, give each of us in this room an opportunity to love someone who is different than us this next week. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.